The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah. We'll begin in 52.7 and read through 53.12. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken with the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He he has put him to grief, with his soul makes an offering for the guilt, he shall hear his, see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. Let us read responsively Psalm 118, 19 through 29. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall not through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The New Testament lesson is from Philippians 2, 5-11. through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. The gospel lesson this morning is from Mark chapter 11. Verses 1 through 11. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has needed it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna to the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may have noticed a couple weeks ago, as we're journeying through Mark, that we skipped a chapter. 
or skip the beginning of a chapter. That's because we were saving it for today. This is the Palm Sunday reading. Palm Sunday is the day where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, where he is hailed as the promised king. Jesus and his followers have been traveling from Galilee in the north all the way down through the south, making their way through various villages and towns, stopping at Jericho. And now they've begun the final trek along this pilgrim's progress toward Jerusalem. But when the triumphal entry is placed in the broader context of Scripture, when we consider it in light of the rest of the Gospel of Mark and also of Old Testament prophecy and also of what comes after it in the epistles, the story takes on a much deeper significance than just a man riding into town on a donkey. Let me pray as we open God's word together. Father, we ask for your word to be pushed down deep into our hearts today that may enliven us to follow you more closely, to believe in you more fully, to live out the commands that you have given us. And as we enter into this holy week at the end of the season of Lent, Lord, we ask that you would continue to refine us and purify us into the image of who you would have us be. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So at this point in Mark, word of Jesus had been spreading. His disciples, the inner, the inner circle, the twelve, have already recognized that he's the Messiah, the promised Son of God, the Christ. And this had already been confirmed by God himself at the miracle of the transfiguration. He had already told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and that when he got there, he would be arrested, tortured, and killed and then rise from the dead on the third day. This has all already happened. And so now he comes into Jerusalem as he said he would. Everything so far in his life and his earthly ministry had been building toward this. And the crowd itself around him was building, and it was excited. For hundreds of years, the Jews had just been beaten down by every empire in the area, beginning with the Babylonians and then the Persians, and then Alexander the Great and the Macedonians, followed by the Greeks, and then finally the Romans, who were their current oppressors. And the Hebrew Bible had been very clear. God was going to deliver these people. He was going to bring a deliverer, the, the true and final son of David, the rightful king who would sit on the throne and reign forever and cement God's relationship with his people, bring the blessing back to the land. In our Isaiah reading, it's a, a famous passage called the Suffering Servant Passage from Isaiah 52 and 53. We heard, who has, heard, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord, that's the, the righteous force of the Lord, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so they say, who, who has believed what they heard from us? Well, what's the from us? What have they heard? We need to look back into the beginning of that passage that Casey read so well. In Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, or gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, who says to Jerusalem, Your God reigns. Now, if you look at the phrase, Your God reigns, in the Old Testament Hebrew, at that time and in that place, there was a language called Aramaic. That was kind of the, the common everyday language that the people would be speaking, especially up in the north, in Nazareth and Galilee. And there was a Bible in Aramaic called the Targum. 
Basically, it's a paraphrase of the Hebrew scriptures. So think of it like a modern-day equivalent would be like the Living Bible or the Message. And in the translation of the Aramaic, if you look at your God reigns, it's exactly what would be translated back into Hebrew as the kingdom of God. It's the same phrasing. And so we've been hearing a lot over the last 12 weeks, Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. This was a phrase that would have been very familiar to any Aramaic speaker because it's the same as your God reigns. That's the message of good news. Jesus was preaching about the same thing. He was using almost the exact same phrasing. He was just doing it 600 years after Isaiah had first written them down. The one who brings good news, the one who tells Jerusalem, here is the kingdom of God. So Jesus was in effect saying, yeah, all that Isaiah stuff, that's me. I'm here. So it's no wonder that between 400 years of getting kicked around and then this guy shows up and he says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. It's no wonder that people were aching for this promised king and thought they had found it in Jesus. It makes sense that the crowds of people treated him like royalty, gave him a king's welcome, waving palms and throwing their cloaks onto the ground so that the donkey that he was riding on wouldn't even kick up dust to get on the garments of this king. It's actually a common visual in that time and in that place for welcoming a hero or a king. First Kings 1 tells us that Solomon himself rode to his coronation on his father David's donkey. Second Kings chapter 9 says that as King Jehu was anointed by Elisha and proclaimed king of all Israel, the people took off their cloaks and they spread them on the ground where he walked. So if you combine those two things together, you get a great picture of what Messiah might be and how they would herald his coming. And then perhaps more, maybe most familiar, there's a prophecy in the book of Zechariah, 500 years after Solomon rode his donkey, and 500 years before Jesus rode his, Zechariah wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus was very clearly making a kingly entrance to anyone who is familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. But just a few days earlier, Jesus had told his disciples what was going to happen. At the end of chapter 10 of Mark, verse 32, it says, And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So to go from that chilling proclamation a few days earlier to this stirring scene of of the lordship of King Jesus, a coronation parade, the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy and a nation that had been waiting for their deliverance, the people rejoicing in songs of shouts, those two things are hard to hold in our mind at once. Jesus saying what was going to happen to him, and yet, after that, the people rejoicing and shouting and singing. And what we know as we enter into this Holy Week, this is the path of Palm Sunday. They welcome him as their greatest champion, and then a week later, they were jeering him as their their most disposable criminal. But this is actually all part of the Isaiah prophecy. This has all been foretold. 
The same, the same verses that spoke about the one who published peace and told the children of Israel about the kingdom of God. That same suffering servant was the one who would be despised and rejected. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our sins and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And yet, there's still moments of light and almost levity in this story that Mark is telling. As I've said the last couple months, there are portions in Mark that are genuinely funny. And so Jesus commands his disciples to go and fetch a donkey. I don't know why this had to happen this way, but it's recorded in all of the Gospels, and it always tickles me. Jesus says, go and and take this animal that's tied up, and if anyone gives any problem, just say, the master has need of it, and they're going to let you get away with it. And so exactly what he said was going to happen happens. The disciples go, and the, the people around the donkey are saying, what are you doing? You can't just take this. They say, the master has need of it. And the people go, oh, okay, that's fine. Go ahead. But the point of that is that we don't always understand the plans of Jesus. We cannot possibly understand all of the ins and outs, the machinations of the plan of the creator God of the universe, the God who reigns. We get tiny little glimpses and we get little nuggets. The disciples had already been told, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. But then several days later, Jesus says, go to the next town and get a donkey. He doesn't tell them the whole plan. We never, he never tells us the whole plan. They couldn't have known how all of this was going to work out. They had heard a proclamation from Jesus, and then they're given a task. But they obeyed because they knew Jesus and they trusted Jesus. We don't always understand the plans of Jesus. But when we know Jesus and when we trust Jesus, we can obey, even if we don't understand what our part is in it. And so back they come with this donkey. The disciples throw their coats on top of the donkey, and Jesus sits on top of the cloaks. And a crowd of followers who had marched with Jesus, at least from Jericho, if not earlier, the crowd follows him and goes in front of him, and they line the road with palms and cloaks, celebrating the arrival of a king. And they cry aloud the words of Psalm 118, which we just read together. All of these threads in the Old Testament are starting to weave together at this focal point with Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. Psalm 118, verse 25, we heard this. Save us, O Lord. O Lord, we pray you give us success. Save us, O Lord. And the crowd here on the Jerusalem road is crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. You might not realize this in modern language, but Hosanna is not just another churchy word meaning hallelujah or woohoo or something that you cry aloud in church. Hosanna is a Hebrew word and it means save us. That's what they're singing in Psalm 118. Hosanna Yahweh. That's what the people on the road to Jerusalem are shouting. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, O Lord. And Psalm 118 continues, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you out of the house of the Lord. And on the road to Jerusalem, riding on the donkey, Jesus is hearing the people cry the same thing. It's a coronation hymn. 
They're heralding their king. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the sequence of events here that we get is kind of dizzying when you put it all together, when you read Mark as one big story. In Mark 8, Peter, speaking on behalf of the rest of the disciples, says to Jesus, you're God. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus says, you're right. And then in Mark 9, it's confirmed because Jesus is transfigured in front of his disciples with a blinding white light. And God's voice booms out from heaven. This is my son. Listen to him. And then he tells them in chapter 10, in a little while, we're going to get to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested and tortured and killed. And then I'm going to rise again. And suddenly this parade, what are we to make of this? How can we be waving palm branches at this king one day and then turning to call for his death a week later? And the reason is because it was all part of the plan. The disciples didn't know it. They knew their little part in it. They knew their little nugget. They knew go and get a donkey. But that's, that's the kind of king that Jesus came to be. He came to bring victory, but not in the way that the Jews thought he would. Never in the way that we would think he would. We cannot know all of his plans because they are so much bigger than we can ever imagine. So this was the triumphal entry of a king. It was a coronation parade. But as our liturgy that we set outside says, the throne that he was ascending to was a cross. And the crown that he was going to wear was not a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. Jesus' coronation ends in Jesus' death. He arrives today on, a, on the back of a colt onto which no one has ever sat. And by the end of the week, he's going to be laid in the tomb in which no one has ever been laid. Jesus' strength is shown in humbling himself. I heard something recently that, that really brought me up short, that functionally, most Christians in the Western world today are Palm Sunday Christians. Triumph and victory and shouts of praise and Hosanna clear the way the king is coming through. But never with the thought of where he's going. Oh wait, he's going to do what now? He's going he's to humble himself? He's going to lose everything? He's going to be tortured and killed for his beliefs? Sounds very uncomfortable. I like Palm Sunday Jesus. I like triumphal entry Jesus. I don't always like to think about Good Friday Jesus. But this is our king. The sacrificing, suffering servant king. He wins by losing. He triumphs by suffering and by sacrificing. He lays down his life for us so that, we'll hear this on Maundy Thursday especially, he lays down his life for us so that we can lay down our lives for one another, for our family, for our friends, for our loved ones, for strangers, even for enemies who don't like us, who think that all of this stuff that we talk about every Sunday is stupid, who think that we are completely nuts for believing in this suffering servant king. So we cry out today, as they did back in Jesus' day, Hosanna, God save us. As we move into Holy Week, where we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet on Maundy Thursday and telling them to do the same. Where we see him mocked and tortured and crucified on Good Friday. Please remember that every single thing that happens this week was part of God's plan for his world and for his people. Nothing took Jesus by surprise. Not the, not the donkey, not the donkey's neighbors protesting the, 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 the taking of the donkey, 
not the palms or the cloaks or the betrayal that Judas will give him. Nothing surprises him. The cries of Hosanna and the cries of crucify him. He was expecting them all. Jesus, the servant king, the one who brings good news, the one who ushers in the kingdom of God and says, your God reigns here, now, me. Jesus, the suffering servant, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. It's a lot to keep in mind all at once. It's why we need a whole week to remember it. So on Palm Sunday, we say, save us, O God. Blessed be the son of David. By by Good Friday, we are saying, crucify him. And then this is all wrapped up so beautifully in the Philippians chapter that we heard. Tying these two things together of the suffering servant and the reigning king. Paul says that even though he was by very nature God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking on the very nature of a servant, being born in the image of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Angels and humans and even people who are already dead, everything, 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 everything will bow to the name of Jesus. And every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is king. Not Caesar is king, not I am king, but Jesus Christ is king. Everyone is going to say that. And they're going to do it to the glory of God the Father. And so as we are sent out this Holy Week, remember the words also from Isaiah. Remember that the Lord will always be with you. Remember that this this suffering servant king, that we follow him out into the world and that the Lord himself will be our rear guard. Let's pray.